Let's pray. And Father, we just thank you for your word tonight. We thank you that your word is full of life. And so, Father, as we read scriptures tonight, we're believing that that life that is in the word will just bring great, great peace and great presence of the Spirit of God tonight. Lord, we thank you that the eyes of our heart are being enlightened as we look on the truths, as we feast on your word. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to talk to you something about that, um, you know, and I'm not a Bible scholar and I by no means know everything. I thank God for what I do know. Uh, but the subject that I'm going to talk to you about tonight is, is a subject that uh, Brenda and I uh, were able to get a hold of uh, very early in our ministry and very early in our walk with God. Especially me, you know, Brenda's been a Christian uh, since uh, she can remember. And I became a Christian in uh, March of 1975. I was in a treatment center being treated for drugs and alcohol. And they let me out to go hear the word for the first time. And uh, I knew that Jesus died for me. I knew that, uh, you know, uh, he hung on the cross. But I really didn't know what that meant. But it wasn't until that night that I actually accepted him and received him into my heart that I became brand new on the inside. And uh, so... Very early in my Christian walk, I got a hold of these truths. And what I want to talk to you about tonight is the authority of the believer. And uh, you and I, we have authority. The church world as a whole knows very little about this subject. I didn't hear this growing up in the Catholic Church, and that's not a put-down to the Catholic Church. You know, thank God for the Catholics. Thank God for the Baptists. We're, we're not against anybody. We're for everyone that calls on the name of the Lord. Uh, but quite frankly, I didn't get what I'm going to teach you in catechism class. Uh, I, I, I didn't get it, you know, in high school from the Christian brothers. Went to an all-boys uh, Catholic high school and uh, excelled in basketball and uh, excelled in partying. Um, but I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't hear some of the things that I'm going to be sharing with you over the course of these weeks uh, at the Christian Brothers School. And then I went on to a state college, St. Cloud State, now St. Cloud University. And this is about 60 miles outside of Minneapolis. And I certainly didn't hear, <laughs> I didn't hear anything about God up there. All I heard was how to drop mescaline and LSD and, you know, the latest on all this other stuff. So, uh, you know, by the time I got out of uh, the woods, if you will, and, and uh, detox from heroin and detox from all the other things that were going on in my life, by that time, uh, I had tried everything else. And I, <laughs> hey, I was, I was a candidate for change because I, I came to the bottom of the barrel. I wasn't at the bottom of the barrel. I was under the barrel on my way out. Uh, and so in 75, when I received Jesus, he really changed my life. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a scripture where Jesus said, he said, um, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Well, I was interested in freedom because I was bound up by all sorts of things. And it was the truth of God's Word, that I started to get on the inside of me 
that freed me up from all of these bondages, all of that stinking thinking, all of that way of the world and that uh, current of the world that I was going down that literally just about killed me. But all of a sudden, in the midst of that darkness, the truth came. And uh, in the book of Psalms, he said it's the entrance of his word that gives light. And, and it gives understanding to the simple. Well, I qualified. I was very simple. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and so just glimpses of light started coming to me. And I just couldn't hardly believe what I was hearing. Is this really true? Could it really be true that God wasn't mad at me? Could it really be true that, that he was not one great big all-seeing eyeball in heaven with some sort of a spiritual fly swatter that was going to literally slap me, cross-side the head, and whoop me for doing wrong? Could it really be true that God is love? And that he loves me unconditionally? And that he favors me abundantly? And that he will bless my life eternally. Could it really, is this truth about grace really true? Is grace really something that is freely given from my Father in heaven? I thought I had to work on it. I thought I had to do penance. I thought I had to, to go to the treadmill of works. Could it really be true that I could be saved by grace through faith? And I started getting hold of some of these things and it literally has changed my life and is still changing my life. Uh, the renewing of the mind is a process. In uh, Romans 12, 2, he says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed or be changed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. My mind had been through a lot. And then, when I got the truth, it started to begin to get renewed. I started to think like God, talk like God, and by God's grace, act like He would act like, and live in and walk in righteousness. And for some of you, you don't know what righteousness means. Let me just define righteousness for you tonight. Righteousness simply means right standing with God. That's good news. You know, the scripture that we, 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 we quote a lot of time is 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he, God, made him, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, that's us, with our sinfulness, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Think about that. He took our sin, he became sin for us, that we might be made righteous in our Father's sight. One word, uh, one, one preacher defined righteousness as the ability to stand in the presence of Almighty God without a sense of fear, without a sense of guilt. And I like this one, without a sense of inferiority. To stand in His presence just like sin never existed. There's a biblical word, it's called justification. We get the word justified from it. Justified means, means to be declared righteous. I like what one southern preacher said about justified. Righteous means, righteousness means justified never sinned. Justified never sinned. So let's, let's talk about this authority that you and I have 
as believers. Any candidates tonight? So what is authority? Okay, let's start there. Authority is actually, it's delegated power. Delegated power. It's something that really did not belong to us, but belonged to someone else. And that someone else gave us that authority, gave us that power. It's delegated. It's something that is freely given. Just like, well, let's look at Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And let's look at verse 19. Luke the 10th chapter. And we're, we're going to go slowly. You know, we've got all year. Luke the 10th chapter. I don't mean all year tonight, but you know what I mean. Luke ten nineteen. Behold, behold is a word for look. This is Jesus speaking. I give unto you power to do what? Go ahead and read it. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now notice this. He said, I've given you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over most of the power of the enemy. No, he said, I've given you power over all. All the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, I want you to notice in that verse, how many times is the word power used? Okay? Twice, right? So now, although the the word power is used twice in this verse, basically there are two different Greek words for these words power. Okay? Okay? One, the first word is exousia, and it literally means uh, authority in the original Greek. And the other one is dunimi or dunamis, and it is power, the word power. So what Jesus is actually saying is this, I have given you, my disciples, which you are one of, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. Oh, man. Now, if you say it this way, behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, um, people think that means I have power. And then they realize, you know what? I don't feel like I have any power. You ever been there? The truth of the matter is none of us have power in ourselves. None of us have anything good in and of ourselves, naturally speaking. Is that right? Now, what he gave us is authority. It's, it's different. It's different. Because as a believer in the natural, I have no power over the devil. But in Christ Jesus, I have authority over all the power of the enemy. Does the devil have power? Certainly he does have power. But you don't have to be afraid of his power. 
Because there is authority given to the children of God, exousia power, exousia authority that trumps all his power. Listen, the authority that you have in Christ, based on Almighty God, based on the all-powerful one, is greater than any power that the enemy has. Amen. Now, our authority in Christ is, is like, a, like a policeman's authority. When he stands out in the street to direct traffic. You ever seen that? Downtown San Francisco, downtown New York, downtown Oakland. Now, he doesn't have any personal strength to hold back those cars, does he? No. In and of himself, he doesn't have that power. He doesn't have that kind of ability. But he does have that kind of authority. Because the authority that he has been given by the government and by the city says, look, when he holds up his hand and says, stop, you better stop. Can he stop it in his own strength? No. But he's got the badge. He's authorized by the city of Oakland, by the city of San Francisco, to stop those vehicles. And you and I, in the realm of the Spirit, when the devil comes down the street, (laughs) and he comes to attack us, and to steal, and to kill, and to destroy, you and I have been authorized by the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, to put him to a screaming halt. All we've got to do is say, stop in the name of Jesus. And whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Will the devil come against your children? Sure he will. Will he come against your soul? You bet he will. Will he come against your life? Yes, he will. Why? Because that's his DNA. He comes to steal. He comes to kill. He comes to destroy. But we are not concerned about what he's come for. We're concerned about what Christ has come for. Christ has said, I am come. That you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. And Christ says, I've authorized you in my name to put a stop to the works of the devil. This is not taught. This is not preached. In churches across the land. Luke 10, 19 literally reads this way. I give you authority to tread on devils, demons, and evil spirits. And over all the power of the enemy. Serpents and scorpions and Luke 10, 19 are a type of demonic forces. They're a type of evil spirits. They're a type of principalities and powers. And he says, look. If you'll just take the authority that I've given you, you can put him to a stop. And, now notice the rest of this verse. Read the last part of it. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. That's a double negative. What literally means is nothing in no way at any time is going to harm those who rise up and use their authority that they have in Christ Jesus. And that's what we need to start believing. And that's what we need to start confessing and declaring. Nothing can hurt me. 
No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Though the enemy come against me one way, he's going to flee before me seven ways. Because I've got God on the inside of my life. And that is a powerful truth. There was a man powerfully used of God in the 1800s. And um, he was in England and uh, he was getting ready to go catch a tram or to go catch a bus. And he was standing on a street corner and he's waiting for a bus. And he, he saw this woman caught up, come out of this apartment building and a little dog kind of ran behind her. And she said, honey, now you got to go back. You, you can't go with me. I'm about to catch the tram. I'm about to catch the bus. And the dog didn't pay a bit of attention to her. He just kind of wagged his tail. And he sort of rubbed up against her and just, you know, oh, you know, don't just play in that game, you know. And she said, now, dear, you, honey, you can't go. You, you go back now. You go back. About that time, the bus pulled up. And the woman stomped her foot and yelled, Get! The dog tucked its tail between its legs and took off and headed back to the house. Without thinking, this man of God hollered out loud saying, That's the way you got to do the devil. And you know it is. You know, there's been a lot of Christians budding up and bedding down with the devil for a lot of years. Just kind of petting him. Petting their diseases and petting their poverty and talking about oh, how tough life is and oh, woe is me. Violins here and violins there. You know what? You set the kind of atmosphere for him. He'll never leave you. You got to put your foot down. You got to put your foot down in the name of Jesus. And you got to tell him to get and tell him to go back to where he belongs. Are you saying tell him to go to hell? Sort of. (laughs) Kind of. Rise up. Use your authority. Stop putting up with the things that he's bringing to your table. Use the authority that Jesus has given you. He said, behold, now I give unto you power. Authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. If you've been having nightmares, you need to take your authority and you need to put a stop to his picture shows. And you need to bind him and you need to prohibit him to fool with you when you're asleep. In the name of Jesus. Everyone say, in the name of Jesus. I prohibit Satan. Demonic forces. To toy with my soul. To bring his nightmares. To bring his visions. To me in the nighttime. I bind that. I stop that. Now. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Now look at Matthew chapter 28. And let's look at verse 18. Here's another verse that the word authority should have been used instead of power. In the King James, Matthew 28, 18 says, Jesus came and spake unto them, All power is given unto me 
in heaven and in earth. All power. But literally, it's the same word, exousia, all authority. All authority. Everyone say all authority. Has been given unto him in heaven and in earth. Well, now, Pastor Mark, I thought you said I have authority. Well, yeah. But here it says Jesus has authority. But you got to keep reading. He didn't stop there. Notice with me in the next verse. He said then, go ye therefore. In other words, I'm authorizing you to go with the authority that I have when I rose from the dead. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Look at verse 20. And then he goes on to say, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Amen. So what I'm saying is this, based on the word, when Christ ascended, when he rose from the dead, when he triumphed over death, hell, and the grave, when he brought Hallelujah. When he went into the heavenly holy of holies, he transferred that authority to the church. He is the head of the church, is he not? And believers make up his body. And Christ's authority, Christ's dominion has got to be perpetuated now through his body. And where is his body? Is his body in heaven or is his body on the earth? If you are a Christian, you are a part of the body of Christ with authority in the name of Jesus. Christ himself is seated at the right hand of the Father. That place of authority. And the good news is this. You and I are seated with him. We've got joint seating with the Master. Turn me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians, the first chapter, we're going to look at verses 18 through 23. Now listen very carefully to these next verses. Because the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the church at Ephesus. And he's so filled with the love of God for these people in Ephesus that he says, look, I cease not to make mention of you in my prayers. And he's praying this out of his heart. He's praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you, hallelujah, may give unto you. Now notice, verse 18. He's praying that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. We talked about light, didn't we? When we opened up this sermon, right? The entrance of his word brings what? He says, now I'm praying that the eyes of your understanding, that's the eyes of your spirit. He's praying that the eyes of your heart, the eyes of your spirit would be enlightened. The Amplified Version says, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart would be flooded with light. In other words, Paul's wanting them to get some understanding. Evidently, Paul had a revelation 
that he wanted the church to get. Paul had understanding that he wanted the church at Ephesus to get. Because he knew that if they would get what he had, that their lives would be completely turned around. Amen. But in order for the church at Ephesus to get what Paul had and what Paul already understood, the eyes of their heart needed to be lit up. The entrance of this revelation was going to bring light to their inner man, to their spirit. And where once there was darkness and a lack of understanding and blindness, once this revelation becomes real to them, the lights are going to go on. And when the lights go on, the darkness flees. Now, when they turned the lights on in this auditorium tonight, it didn't just roll back darkness halfway. It rolled darkness completely out of this auditorium. And that's what Paul is praying. He wants their hearts to be flooded with light. He wants the illumination of the scripture to become so alive in them that it changes their lives forever. And this is a prayer that not only belongs to the church at Ephesus, but this is a prayer that belongs to the church in Hayward. It belongs to the church in San Francisco. It belongs to the church in the Bay Area. This prayer for revelation knowledge belongs to every born-again believer. And here's what Paul is praying. He's praying that the eyes, he's not talking about the natural eyes. How many of you know you've got two sets of eyes? You've got eyes here and you've got eyes here. The eyes of your understanding are the eyes of your spirit. Do you know you got two sets of ears? You got these natural ears, but you also have spiritual ears. That's why Jesus, when he addressed some of the churches and when he was teaching the word of God, he would say this, he that hath ears, come on, to hear, let him hear what the spirit is saying. See, you can hear truth with these outer ears and never have it register on your inner ears. You can see the word with your outer eyes and never see it with your inner eyes. The outer eyes and the outer ears are the am. But the inner ears and the inner man and the inner eyes are the fm. The am was Adam's mode. The fm is your father's mode. It's where this real be- it's where this word becomes real. It's where this word becomes alive. And all of a sudden, these words are no longer words on a page. These words are alive and living on the inside of you. And they take up residence in you. And you become wholly filled and flooded with God himself. Oh, thank you, Lord. And this is where I want to be. This is where I want to live. This is where I want the people in this church to come to. That your eyes would be so flooded with light that no more darkness would be in your life. Oh, Jesus. Let it be so. The eyes of our understanding. 
being enlightened that you may know know some things you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free that you may know I tell you when I came to know the truth my days of drug addiction were over when I came to know the truth that truth made me free and my days of frivolity and living like the devil were over with He's praying, oh, how I desire for you to know what is the hope of his calling. You know, God has an awesome expectancy for his people to arise to a level where they know what they're called to do. And they actually put legs to their calling. And he's praying... Not only that they know the hope of his calling, but also I pray, church at Ephesus, I pray, church in the Bay Area, that you may know what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints is. God's got an inheritance for you. And then he prays in verse 19, and I pray that you know what is the exceeding greatness of his power. Everyone say, the exceeding greatness. greatness. Of what? He's praying that we'll know something. The exceeding greatness of His power. He's talking there about, there's no greater power that was ever exercised than when God raised Jesus from the dead. He said, this isn't just partial power. This is exceedingly great power. When the power of God went into Hades and lifted Jesus out of there and raised him from the dead. Oh, my goodness. He's praying, I want you to know something about this glorious resurrection power. Now, notice, which is toward those who believe. So this resurrection power is available to those who believe. This resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you and me if we will have faith in it. Our faith must not be in the wisdom of men, but our faith must be in the power of God. He said, get a glimpse here now. What is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who are to believe? And then he goes on to define it. According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand, where? Are you in agreement with me tonight? Jesus was raised from the dead. Are you in agreement with me tonight that that power is available to those who believe? Let's go back there in just a moment, but turn over to Isaiah 53, verse 1. We're going to take our time with this. You know what's going to happen? The eyes of your heart are going to get so flooded with light. You're going to be changed forever. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1. Look at this now. He said, who has believed our report? Is there faith there? Question is, 
Who has believed our report? The whole book of Isaiah 53, chapter Isaiah 53, is talking about Jesus, what he did on the cross, and what he bore for you and for me on Calvary. And he says, who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm... Come on now. And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Now you look at scriptures throughout the Bible and you see that the arm of the Lord is equated with resurrection power. And so the answer to this question is this. As that the arm of the Lord, resurrection power will be revealed to those who believe the report. Look no further. We have hundreds in the Bay Area that believe the report. Say it with me. The arm of the Lord, the the Lord is showing up, is showing up and showing out, showing up, showing up in every area of my life. Because I, I believe. I believe His resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead quickens me. Hallelujah. All right, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1 now. Verse 20. Ephesians 1 20. I can't help it. I just get excited about it. What is the exceeding greatness of His power? Verse 19. To us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places. Now notice. Read verse 21 with me. You ready? Ready, read. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. How far has Jesus been raised above principalities and powers? Far Far above. Some of it? No, far above all of it. You know, those principalities and powers are demons and devils and evil spirits. Hallelujah. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he was raised far above them. But not only that, might and dominion. Far above them. And far above, everyone say every name. Every name that is named. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The name of Jesus is above every name. The name of Jesus is above terrorism. The name of Jesus is above crack addiction. The name of Jesus is above every name. If you can think of a name that has a connotation of evil to it, Jesus' name is above that name. And the reason why his name is above that name is because he's been raised above all of it. Far above. We could camp here for an hour. Far above. Far above. Let me tell you, Jesus is not what some of the portraits we've seen of him. He is not that at all. 
He is not some albino looking, weak, emaciated master. He is the all powerful one. He is the one that was raised from the dead. There's nothing weak about him. He's been raised far above all power. And every name, every name, his name contains authority in three worlds. His name has authority in heaven. His name has authority in earth. His name has authority under the earth. All heaven stands at attention at the mention of his name. Angelic hosts hearken to the voice of his word. When they hear the name, they stand at attention. Men on earth. When his name is proclaimed and his name is preached, can be saved by calling on his name. But demonic spirits under the earth are subject to his name. The Bible says, wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. We're talking about Jesus. Everyone say Jesus. Jesus. The name name. above every name. name. So would you agree with me that he's been raised? And would you agree with me that his resurrection power is available to us when we believe? Now notice this in verse 21, verse 22. Did you wear your shouting clothes tonight? By the way, your shouting clothes are the clothes you got on. (laughs) Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Now read verse 22. And has put all things under his what? What things? <laughs> how many things? Has put how many things? Where? Where? So all things, all names, all principalities, all powers... Are under where? Under his feet. Under where? Under where? Ooh, glory. (laughs) Ooh, this is getting rich. Oh, hallelujah. All things are under his feet. Well, isn't he the head? Right? Would Would you agree with me? He's the head of the church. He is the Lord. The head of the church? Yes. Now, who's the body? Is the body connected to the head? Yes. Now, when I see Isaac here tonight, I don't say, Isaac, come on over here. Just leave your head there. No, because his head is connected to his body. 
the body of Christ is connected to the Christ, the head. And he said, when he was raised from the dead, that he placed all thing, all things under his feet. Now, let me ask you a question. Are the feet in the head or are the feet in the body? And what are you? You are the body of what? The body of Christ. This is going to dawn on you about 3 a.m., some of you. Now listen to this. We've got to work with this. And he's put all things under his feet. And gave him, that's Jesus, to be the head over all things. To what? Glory to God. To the body. Verse 23. Notice with me. Which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all and all. Oh my goodness. We're going to work with this just a little while. We're running out of time. But let me tell you this. The devil didn't like the fact that Jesus rose. He hated it. Had the princes of this world known that after he was crucified and was buried, had they known that he was going to be raised up, the Bible said they never, (laughs) they never, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. Never! They would have said, just leave him alone. What do you think Satan saw on the day of Pentecost? What do you think he saw? A rushing mighty wind came from heaven. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And the same spirit that was on Jesus in his earthly ministry came upon men and women in an upper room and baptized him and them with the same power and the same fire and the same glory. They thought... They had him down forever. But he rose victorious over death, hell, and the grave. I'll tell you what Satan saw on the day of Pentecost. He saw people's lives changed by the power of God. Whereas they only had one to deal with and they thought they had him done in. Now they got 120 in the upper room. And then Peter the denier all of a sudden turns into Peter the prophesier. Peter the wimp turns into Peter the powerful. And on the day of Pentecost, he stands up and he preaches the gospel. And thousands more were born again. And thousands more contained this authority and this power. 
Literally, Satan was shaken in his boots. Just think what he's doing today. It's not thousands anymore. It's billions. <laughs> Woo! There's more of us born again, tongue-talking, Bible-believing, divine healing, devil-casting-out believers in the world than this ever known before. There's a new breed that has arisen in the land. A new breed that is proclaiming the name that is above every name. A new breed that says we are not going to take it anymore from devils, demons, and evil spirits. Because my champion, the head of the church, has risen from the dead. And I'm alive in him. And he's alive in me. Woo, glory. So this resurrection, it's still opposed by demonic forces. There is so much baloney. I mean, there's literally religious people saying that the virgin birth never happened. There are people literally saying that, oh, he wasn't really dead. He was just sort of asleep. And then he woke up. Yeah. The resurrection was opposed by Satan and all of his cohorts. However, his forces were confused and defeated by the master. When he rose, ascended, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father far above them. And tonight we'll close in Colossians chapter 2 verse 15. Let's look over there. I pray right now for everybody in this place. I pray that the eyes of our heart, Lord God, would be flooded with light. Father God, that every person in this auditorium would know what is the hope of their calling. And what are the riches of your glory, of the riches of your inheritance that you have in our lives. And I pray, Lord God, for a revelation of resurrection power. In Jesus' name. Colossians 2.15 talks about the great defeat that Satan experienced through Calvary and through the burial and the resurrection from Christ from the dead. Colossians 2.15, let's look over there. Are you ready? Read. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. One translation says, in it, in the cross. Now, let's work with this just for a few moments. The phrase, having spoiled principality and powers, is just a little bit blind to us. Of course, they refer to satanic beings. But let's look at another translation, and they don't have that here. So let me just read to you a couple other translations that will help us to see a little bit clearer. Coney Bear's translation says in verse 15 of Colossians 2, that he, Jesus disarmed the principalities and the powers which fought against him. Disarmed them. Philip's translation says it like this. He, Jesus, exposed them, shattered them, emptied them, and defeated them in his final glorious triumphant act. That's powerful. Now, back to Colossians 
He spoiled them. Everyone say, he spoiled them. He spoiled the principalities and the powers. That's a biblical term. It gives us a clear picture. What does it mean to spoil someone? Listen to this. When one king fought against another king and defeated him in battle, I'm talking about in Bible times, it was said that the defeated king was spoiled. The king who won or the victor would take and parade the captured king and other prisoners through the town as a trophy of triumph. See these guys? They've been whipped. He was once a king, now he's been dethroned. He's been spoiled. The victor would make a show openly of the enemy's defeat. Openly displaying their complete downfall publicly before everyone. And the Bible says that Jesus did that to Satan. That Jesus spoiled Satan. He displayed his triumph over Satan's defeat, like I said, in three worlds. Another translation says this, He put to naught principalities and powers. He made an open show of them, triumphing over them in it, in the cross. To put to naught really means to reduce to nothing. I submit to you tonight that the enemy that comes against you, according to the word of God, is nothing. He is nothing. He is not an enemy to be feared. He is not an enemy to be revered. He is an enemy to be resisted. He is an enemy to be taken dominion over. But don't fear him. Fear is his master key to bringing the children of God down. But God didn't give you a spirit of fear. But a power and a love and of a sound mind. That's all we have time for tonight. We could preach another hour or two. But let's all stand to our feet. And let's just thank him for what we've heard tonight. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you, Father, for the Holy Ghost who takes this word and makes it real in our hearts. Thank you, Father. I want to give you an assignment tonight before we go home. And that is this. Many of you have friends, you have relatives that are blinded by the God of this world. Instead of spending a lot of time fasting and praying for unsaved loved ones, why don't you just break the power of the devil over them? And why don't you pray that the eyes of their heart would be flooded with light? Pray these prayers according to Ephesians chapter 1. And I believe that you'll see things turn around and lives will be changed.